Before we get started on this week's pod, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. We'll give you the link later at the end of the show for those who want to sign up, but while there is little on-field action, there are still so many stories to share. Keep an eye at EmergingCricket.com and our various social media channels and make sure to leave us a five-star rating and if you can, a review wherever you are listening to the show. We have a cracker coming up for you this week as we chat to PNG all-rounder Norman Vanua in a two-part special and we catch up with some more cricket news from around the world. Enjoy. Thank you for joining us again for the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM. I'm Daniel Beswick and with me are my co-hosts first, our favourite left-arm orthodox spinner, Tim Cutler. Tim, how's things? Well, I'm happy. They always say squeaky wheel gets the grease. I inquire as to why I was always getting asked last and uh, and here I am. Nope, all good here. Bez, same, same as the same for so many other people around the world, but uh, I am well. How are you in the, well, the very inner north of Sydney? Well, I thought everyone knew that number three was the best bat in the team. So you jump looking for a promotion and jumping up and down. We, we've <laughs> all of a sudden got Nick coming in at three. I'll introduce you in a moment, Nick. No, things are all right. Uh, and I'm sure Nick will have plenty to say about this. But the ICC rolled out the 2009 World T20 opener. Uh, over the weekend in what is an unbelievable game of emerging cricket to to watch back. Uh, The Netherlands winning that game off the last ball with Edgar Schifferly scoring the winning run into a winning overthrow. Uh, Nick, did you catch up with it on the weekend? I'm sure that game is is well and truly entrenched in your memory. Uh, Nick Skinner, better known as Copernicus Cricket. First of all, how are you? And did you catch up with that particular game this weekend? I'm very well, Bez. Um, I (laughs) I mean, if I'm coming in at number three, I don't know what that says about our batting lineup, but um, you are last. Well, yeah, that's that's more usual for me. Although, funnily enough, I, my highest score actually came opening the batting. But anyway, um, I think that was one of those early ones. I know we've we've talked a bit about our um, love being kindled for emerging cricket, but that was one of the ones that also got me uh, fired up about it. I know I'd, I'd followed Canada a bit, but you know, seeing the Netherlands uh, make an impression as well was uh, was great. And of course, it's always good banter to see the the English get done over off the last ball as well. 2.3 million views thus far as well. It just shows when you get content like this up, people will be watching. That's a huge number of views. And this is on, on Facebook. Uh, I'm not sure if it was shown anywhere else, but it was quite funny seeing some of the comments pop up. Oh, England's got this for sure. I'm not sure if people <laughs> knew the result. <laughs> oh, I don't want to doubt people on this, but, you know, it seems a little bit too snappy and, and not like someone who got the irony from the Yeah, so, no, good to see. And unfortunately, from my point of view, I, I, back then, I, I feel like I, I was guilty of, of back when I was with the... Uh, Back time when I was a, a pilot with the Galactic Empire, uh, but now I'm over to the the Rebel Alliance. And yes, my uh, Star Wars <laughs> I'm binging over this last week has continued. Are you a Kyle Katarn fan, there, Tim? Um, I don't know who that is. Ah, you're not a real Star Wars fan. Bez, let me let me let me say that bit again because I know as soon as I talk about anything other than cricket, 
Nick Skinner cuts it from the uh, the uh, the podcast anyway. So, <laughs> so I started talking about Star Wars last week, and then I went to listen to the podcast because the Patreon one wasn't working, and then and then I went, oh, where, where'd my Star Wars story go? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nick still kept in his story, but my, my Star Wars one goes. Look, we we have to make some some sacrifices. Strict editorial guidelines, I think they're referred to as. Yeah, some you're right. Sometimes three is a crowd. Um, yes, and when I look back to that 2009, back then. I I was on a business trip to London when that game was on, um, actually out with some Dutch underwriters, actually, back in the marine insurance world. And I remember thinking, I think someone said, oh, do you want to go to that game? I think there was rain around, wasn't there? Yes. I was like, oh, the Dutch, you know, it's probably not going to be much of a game. And then I was out and about in London, as one does, and then checked the score and went, oh, I believe I may have just missed one of the greatest games ever. But, uh, geez, a lot has changed since then in terms of one person's viewpoint of the emerging cricket world, that's for sure. Yeah, well, the opening ceremony was called off due to rain and then they battled just to make sure they got the entire game in. But they were pretty much ahead of the Duckworth-Lewis. There was only one occasion where I think they were just behind, but that was towards the end. Well, not a lot has changed about England's performance against the Dutch in T20 World Cups, though, has it? No, well, yeah, they, they won again against England in, in 2014. T- to quickly... You know, talk about that 09 game a little bit more before we do eventually move on to the show. It just looked like the Dutch had a clear plan, both with ball and bat, and they executed nearly to perfection. Every bowl had a separate job. Nanus wanted to hit the pitch hard, a little bit back of the length. Byron wanted to bowl sort of full slow balls, which were hit straight. And Peter Saylor, you know, the, the young Peter Saylor at that point, who was listed to come in at either 10 or 11, who we now know is more of a, a bowling all-rounder, he came in and did a really good job. I think he bowled the second last over of the innings and they tied it up after England got off to a flyer and yeah the chase was great between De Groot and, and Rakers at the top and although Kvetsi missed out there were some great performances in the middle order and Peter Byron just wanted to sweep a young Adil Rashid everywhere and then Tendis Carter does his thing at, at the end it was it was great viewing and hopefully um, the ICC will take that on board and, and potentially with some more uh, associate upsets in major tournaments. We might see them play out a few more in their entirety because it was it was great to to relive that. Got a little bit emotional watching uh, the overthrow for from uh, Stuart Broad for, for the victory, <laughs> which was great to see. Let's get into the show, boys, because we've got a couple of things to talk about. Before we do talk with PNG all-rounder Norman Vanua, I've got a feeling it's going to be a cracker with him, but we'll get into some news first. And news breaking this week, the postponement of the Women's World Cup qualifier, which was scheduled in early July from the 3rd to the 19th of July. Uh, The tournament met its inevitable fate earlier in the week due to the ongoing situation. I don't think we need to really delve into that any more than... We already have, but the other the other event that has been postponed in the wake of COVID nineteen is the European Regional Qualifier in Denmark, which is one of the early qualification events for the Under nineteen Cricket World Cup in two thousand and twenty two. Uh, to bring it back to the women's tournament, their fifty over World Cup is scheduled for February and March next year in New Zealand. So we might see a few things pushed around there. I do want to ask though, Tim, as someone who is a little bit closer to knowing more about ICC funding and stuff like that, with all of these events eventually being played out and the TV revenue for these events eventually being paid out, will the ICC funding by the same logic not be 
affected overall for associate members or is it a case of uh well if we do have shifts and 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 different prices paid for for certain events then we will see that staggered into the icc funding for a lot of the associate members around the world well i guess it starts with that initial premise is that that it all depends on that icc funding and that icc funding is made up but vast majority by the money coming from star for their eight years of media rights and there's also other sponsorships and whatnot as well so the funding to the associates are supposed to be pretty much locked locked in but in saying that they're only as locked in as as much money as comes in the full member distributions are estimated to be x y and z at the start of the the cycle you know and that's you know the number of 400 million that comes with um with the bcci uh, and with and everyone else over that period is all on an estimated amount of income for the for the icc so if if star um like a lot of other broadcasters that have made promises or contracts um look at at scaling that back if we if we lose a tournament or two or if their funding uh, from a sponsorship point of view doesn't get as high as they wanted it to we could see less funding coming to the icc ergo less funding going to all nations and there's nothing really to say that icc board won't change its mind as to how that money is distributed anyway so look it's an extreme situation and we've seen some sports almost go under because of the lack of broadcast money coming in so i think it's a sort of a baited breath situation here hoping that the icc can get the global events and in turn hoping that star can still get the the advertising dollars that, that it was hoping for so it all flows through because you know, if these things don't happen, there's nothing really stopping Star asking to come to the table to uh, to renegotiate. Well, the hope is that with everyone so desperate for sport, they might be able to jack up the prices for those tournaments a little bit more, uh, at least from a receiving point of view for, for the ICC and therefore ending up with, with more funding to its associate members. We, we can only speculate on this. We, we know nothing about this given the, the situation we are in at this point. But there has been some positive news in terms of things opening up in the cricket world. We've heard about Vanuatu and Taiwan over the last couple of weeks. We will talk about Vanuatu in a moment. But first, uh, from Africa, there's been some better news from Namibia, who are planning on tournament play and a resumption of their T20 franchise competition in the next couple of months, looking more towards August, perhaps a little bit further down the track. Uh, But they have opened up a little bit more in Namibia. Uh, Stage 2 of lockdown has begun. Cricket Namibia will be allowed to to train, albeit in staggered groups of four or eight, according to uh, the new Namibian CEO, Johan Muller. The only other issue that does seem to come up for Namibia is that if they train at the Wanderers, there are multiple sports that are played at Wanderers. So we might see a case of sports having to stagger their days in terms of training there. But we will see an end to that franchise T20 tournament, which I think was reaching its last day anyway. So a huge, huge gap between the group stage and and the finals day of that tournament. But we will eventually have a winner for that. And we might see some international cricket in that August to November region in Namibia with Cricket World Cup League 2 matches still needed to be played out after being postponed during this COVID period. That will depend on if a World Cup is played, but it does sound like things are over the hill, at least on the Namibian front. Yeah, it's interesting to see them targeting that sort of uh, date range because um, obviously that's when the T20 World Cup is still scheduled to happen. Um, You raised an interesting point as to whether maybe Namibia have uh, 
know something that we all don't if they're if they're trying to target that for for when to come back having uh cricket world cup league two fixtures around that time could even end up helping their preparation you know if they have them um just before the world cup and they uh play some some t20s alongside that that could help as as practice before heading over to australia so who knows hopefully it you know it doesn't mean that they've heard that the whole thing's off but yeah you never know yeah better news for from namibia and hopefully we'll see those guys come out strong i, I seen physically those guys are ready to go whether or not the, the skills will be up to scratch given they have been able to, to practice cricketing drills um, we'll, we'll see how that all pans out for them but a country which has enjoyed some cricket over the last couple of weekends is Vanuatu we saw the women's T20 finals day a couple of weeks ago as well as a men's intra-squad friendly as well and given their situation in the Pacific where they've had next to no coronavirus cases at all they've been able to launch a men's T10 Super League which will start from May 21st there's three teams in the tournament the Bulls the Mighty Afase Panthers and the Afira Sharks will be interesting to see how those three teams are divvied up between a bunch of national team players uh, but every Saturday two matches will be played as the top two teams will make to the final uh, which will be played on June 13th. So the tournament will go over the next few weeks. We did talk about it briefly last week, Nick. They're postponing their 40-over competition for the sake of a men's T10 competition. What do you think the end game is from Shane Dietz and Vanuatu? Is it essentially just looking to strike while the iron is hot, get plenty of stream viewers and T- uh, T10 action with 90-minute games? Is that the end game for Vanuatu, you think? Yeah, look, I think it's pretty clear that they've received a you know an offer they couldn't refuse from um, an, an interesting organization called bet barter who uh, being a sports betting company with very little sport have taken to uh, staging simulated tournaments of uh, various sports but you know that that to one side yeah as I said last week I'm, I'm not sold on the t10 thing I think they could have easily done it as a t20 but you know as long as the money goes into worthwhile development projects um, I, I think it's probably uh, on the whole, a, a good thing to be doing this. And as you say, you know, striking while the iron's hot, and, you know, no other cricket going on at the moment, probably worth taking that cash as, uh, you know, it doesn't happen very often that Vanuatu's the, you know, the centre of the cricketing world. Yeah, I can only echo Nick's thoughts there. I know we've talked about in the last couple of pods, just making sure that there's a bit of legacy behind this with some footage cut up, highlights, sizzle videos, etc. that the, the VCA can use moving forward when they engage with sponsors and with social media in general because that's stuff that um, an associate their level normally wouldn't have access to or the money to pay for so just hoping that this is seen by as many people as possible and can be seen by as many people as possible not just those who are looking to gamble on it but um, no great news for Vanuatu cricket and great news for associate cricket in general almost 500,000 viewers of their streams for the women's t20 day so you would think that they'd be able to match those numbers if they have an open calendar where no cricket is being played elsewhere. Uh, we know that in the Czech Republic, they're targeting late June, which doesn't quite fit in this uh, time frame for Vanuatu. So they've still got a free slot where they can essentially build while everyone else is is standing still. So it's great news for them. Uh, moving on finally to Nepal, where it looks as if the Everest Premier League return date will almost solely be down to the availability of the overseas full member marquee players, namely Chris Gale. Um, A story was broken by Paul Radley of the National in UAE last week where he spoke with managing director and owner of the league, Amir Akhtar, 
Uh, we've talked to him a couple of times on the podcast as well. He's very ambitious about this league, but he wants to be it to be done right with all these overseas players available. Uh, so this is very much a floating tournament. We don't really have any idea where it's going to slot. The only thing that we could probably assume is it'll be away from the monsoon seasons in Nepal. But Nick, is it dangerous to perhaps rely on the overseas availability. They're going to have 30,000 people at just about every game anyway. It seems a pretty risky move to, to schedule something just on the availability of a few marquee players when there might be other capable marquee players available in certain uh, in certain countries and at different times. Well, that's the thing that I find a bit strange about this situation is, is that they've put so much onto Chris Gale. And, you know, Chris Gale is certainly a draw card, but as you say, cricket in Nepal is popular enough that it can stand on its own two feet, you know, without him. There's an element of Amir looking to, I think, uh, cash in on the overseas TV market, and and that makes sense. But at the same time, you know, as you say, Gale's probably one of the more in-demand T20 franchise players in the world. So with so many tournaments being postponed, he's going to have a pretty big backlog in his schedule. So I think, you know, pinning all your hopes on a guy who has limited availability to start with I don't know that that's necessarily a wise move. And I guess the question is, um, if they do go after these overseas TV revenue, you know, what's going back into Nepali cricket? You know, is is the money just, uh, you know, just lining Amir's pockets? I mean, you know, fair enough. He, he's running the league. He's he's putting up the, the investment for it. But at the same time, to be building your domestic cricket around essentially one guy i think they should be taking the opportunity to to build up more of those local nepali guys as heroes i think following on from the question around the tv rights and distribution from the icc and how that could be impacted and potentially reduced to to everyone the same thing would need to be considered if you're a mere looking at the TV rights coming through for the EPL like any other cricket event coming up. You know, will the same level of funding be out there for these broadcasters to be throwing around uh, and broadcasting as many events, um, i.e. will the advertisers be there? Um, because inevitably that's how broadcasters pay for uh, content like this. So uh, you, you would like to think that the EPL is not going to get itself into a, into a corner where it puts all its eggs in the Gale basket and then something happens that the, the broadcasting dollars they wanted to get because of Gale being there, it, it doesn't come and the amount of money that's been promised to Gale ends up costing the franchises as much as the event. And I don't know if it's the only the franchises or whether the event is also paying for these players that, that hasn't been released and it's a private enterprise. It doesn't necessarily have to, but you just need to make sure that you find the balance here and, and it might actually be required or the best thing to do is to take a step back and get local again and get everybody into it and and rebuild from there you just hope you know that they don't get a situation we've seen with a slam or with the gt20 they're overreaching and then overreaching too far into a situation like this so it's not that i don't think the the roots are not deep with the epl quite the opposite but it's more a financial decision here especially in the the current situation around the world Yeah, so I understand that a lot of these payments to players or prospective players for the APL, that money is coming from the league and not from the respective franchises of the competition. It becomes a case of these players meeting a fit for a certain team and the league and the franchise working out how they're going to cut a deal to bring those players in. Nepal are very much capable of hosting a T20 tournament with great associate players and a batch of wonderful, talented Nepali cricketers. And you're going to get 
25, 30,000 people at the TU ground every single time. But one of the things that Amir mentioned when I spoke to him a few months ago is that he needs to capitalize on this. And, and Nepali cricket actually needs to capitalize on how many people walk through the door, whether or not they charge a little bit more for tickets or they try and sell TV rights to, to other places. They want India. Of course, India is the big fish. We know that they can't go for Indian players at the moment. So they need someone like Gail, who, you know, outdid Kohli in a T20 cricket vote uh, put to fans of a certain cricketing uh, <laughs> business. But to bring it back to everything and to move on quickly and, and before we, we do move on, I think it's very important that they do get TV rights and they do make a bit of money for Nepali cricket. I'm just very interested to see if they do make that money, where it goes. You know, if if Amir wants to be a philanthropist and he wants to donate to, say, the, the Buddha International Cricket Stadium in Chitwan because they need multiple international grounds, they need a little bit more funding to, to do things and to build Nepali cricket, how much of this money will go to the Cricket Association of Nepal can and how much of this money will go into the organisers of the league. You know, the league should be rewarded for putting up a good tournament and, and making money by doing deals. But at the same time, hopefully there's a bit of harmony between them and can in regards to building the Nepali financial uh, structure and building the game overall in Nepal because there are a few glaring errors or mistakes or, or oversights uh, in Nepali cricket that do need to be fixed up as soon as possible. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because normally you think about all these other countries and, and the association may have an interest in the event. Um, you know, BBL completely owned by Cricket Australia over to the, the CPL, which is completely owned by a third party and pays a licensing fee to, to Cricket West Indies. Um, but in Nepal's um, situation, they have three um, or four and more T20 leagues, but three main ones, and they were all started when the Cricket Association of Nepal was suspended. So they've been set up and doing their deals as in being licensed by the ICC, paying a license fee to the ICC, which reportedly went into Nepali cricket pot. But now that it's the Cricket Association of Nepal, albeit um, in a restricted basis still with their hand, hands being held by the ICC, you know how will that be handled differently or will it be handled differently? Um, will they ask these tournaments that started up privately while they were not a, a going concern as a governing body? Will there be different deals done? Um, I think there's some, some big questions to, to be answered there. And <laughs> we know anything about uh, Nepali cricket is that there'll be a lot of political movements behind the scenes as well you know we know they've gone from a, a board i think it was of 36 wasn't it um <laughs> uh, that have been, has been rationalized but look i still think there's a, a lot of road to run there in the sense of, of what the position that these private t20 leagues and what part they play and also their connection to grassroots cricket and its funding yeah you, know, you look around the world at at different leagues and you know, quite a few of them are struggling for cash to the point where um, it, it's often better to have the board running things, I think, because then, you know, money does go directly into development efforts. You know, you look at uh, Bangladesh, where the, the private league sort of fell apart because of um, you know, various financial and, and administrative problems and, and the board had to take over and um, the success of the Big Bash in Australia where you know there was some push from certain quarters to start selling franchises but you know they resisted that and you know they've reaped the rewards both financially and, and by being able to um, have more of a you know development focus and, and uh, attracting new fans to the game rather than you know just jacking up ticket prices and, and trying to make a quick buck so 
as and I mean this maybe just uh, is is who I am that I'm I'm a bit suspicious of the um, sort of private investor model more so than the, the board running things. But <laughs> Nepal has its own way of doing things in a lot of ways, and uh, the cricket scene's no different. Well, we'll have to wait and see how that all pans out. And as soon as we hear any more from Nepal, you will find it on our website emergingcricket.com. Now, uh, that's all the news we have in regards to news on and off the field in the emerging world. But now let's catch up with PNG all-rounder Norman Vanua. Well, on the Emerging Cricket Podcast, we are blessed to welcome yet another guest to the show. PNG hard-hitting bowling all-rounder Norman Vanua. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, it's been tough with the um, isolation and stuff, but yeah, it's been pretty good. How are you traveling in, in the current isolation? I've spoken to a couple of the other Barramundi boys. They seem to be traveling okay. How, how are you doing in the, in the current situation? To be honest, it's been tough for me personally. I've um, been going through a few things, but with isolation and trying to get in whatever program they've set for us, um, I injured my ankle when I got back a week after from Australia. So yeah, I haven't really done any running or anything. It's just been bodywork stuff that I can pretty much do without putting a distress on my um, injured ankle. But it's been good. It's um, challenging as a cricketer. You find ways to try and keep yourself fit and yeah, to um, do whatever set for you by in Cricket PNG to make sure that you're fit to um get back into things when isolation's been lifted, I'd say. So between, I, I suppose, what's happened and the other group chats you've got thus far, who who's ruling the group chat? Who's the one providing all the banter, all the highlights, all the all the jokes? Because I'm sure it's hard not being able to, to see the guys every day. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a couple of them. Um, CJ's one of them. He's the main one. He always finds the most little stupid things to do. Sorry. <laughs> um, Joey. Joey Dawes is mainly the main one that tries to stir up a lot of banter and stuff. But yeah, he normally picks on Chad and I. <laughs> and he thinks we have kind of a relationship that's not normal to guys. So, so is that like a Stoinis and Adam Zampa relationship? There's a lot of hand-holding and yeah, no, I like it. I like it. Some pinchy bromance. Go shopping together. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> no, none of the hand-holding, but yeah, a lot of a lot of cafes and coffee. So yeah, yeah. pretty much you just need to be lying there in team meetings, like head on lap and whatnot. And- <laughs> now, looking back, it's been uh, a tricky period for, for a lot of us trying to prepare. I know you guys have a World Cup, a T20 World Cup at this stage going ahead, coming up. But looking back at, say, the last two years, it's been a bit of a roller coaster in, in Papua New Guinea cricket. We've seen the Barramundi miracle of World Cricket League 2 last year in, in April qualified for the for the World Cup uh, late last year as well. Uh, before that, you had to sort of re-achieve one-day international status after a tricky period before that. Um, how do you guys assess the last sort of two to three years in Papua New Guinea cricket? Uh, really, um, we've... I don't know. Joe has done a great job with um, all the boys and stuff, bringing a young group, a core young group of boys into the borough system and then sort of working on the main core that have been around for a few years, like Asad, Tony, CJ. Yeah, it's been it's been good. Like, it's put a lot of responsibility on the boys the last few years. It's pushed all the boys to achieve great, greater personal achievements in, I'd say, fitness-wise, pretty much, and pushing us beyond our limits to do with skills and everything in general. And not just that, it's just even our personal lives, changing our diets to pretty much the way we dress, in a way. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's been good. It's been tough. There have been a lot of hard changes for the better, and yeah, it's really helped us in those last moments where we thought we were out, but then all of a sudden we just kept hanging in there. And yeah, it's been a roller coaster, and I think 
think we owe it to our um, cricketing staff as well who have been behind us the whole time. And yeah, just our coaching staff have been superb to, from our SNC to all our coaches and yeah, pretty much all the boys as well for sacrificing a lot. It's not easy being a cricketer, but yeah, I reckon being a cricketer, it's, you, you don't spend much time with your family and most of the time we spend together. And I think a lot, I, most of us know a lot more about each other than we do our family. So I guess, yeah, it's all, all the hard work we've put in over the last three years. Yeah, just, just rewinding a bit back to um, you know before the Cricket World Cup qualifier and the, the, the back end of the World Cricket League Championship where, you know, early on in that tournament, I think PNG was, was top of the table for a while and then it just sort of faded a bit. What do you think, you know, went wrong there? And then, of course, the, the really disappointing performance at the World Cup qualifier in 2018. You know, what, what went wrong and what sort of, what are you trying to do to turn that around? Uh, I think it came down strictly to um, discipline, the way we handle situations and the way each player knew what they were doing and bringing to the team and not just that the whole I think the structure in a way where we took it lightly towards the end knowing our way first and stuff so probably just take it a bit lighter than usual but then I think that's been Cricket PNG's downfall over the last uh, I think the whole history of Cricket PNG play start well and then you end the tournament really badly so I think from this new group of boys that have come through and the ones that uh, the senior ones currently I think um, there's a good mixture of youth and experience and I think the young ones are picking up really quickly so that's really helped us in the last three years compared to the last round of the World Cricket League where we went from sitting first on the table to pretty much finishing fourth. And you you mentioned PNG's tournament play or the problems with it and it goes back quite a way that you've seemed to have come up against Hong Kong in key tournaments um, World Cricket Leagues especially World Cricket League 3 in 2011 I know you both got out of that but Hong Kong beat in the final the T20 World Cup qualifier in 2013 before the 2014 World Cup came down to a do or die match I, I don't need to list these I can see you know if the magics of podcasts I can just see you nodding and I'm, I'll stop how was that rivalry and uh, and how do you look back on it now and see where PNG has gone as opposed to, to Hong Kong it's always a tough competition playing against Hong Kong we're good mates off the field but on the field pretty much is what we have battled over the years and yeah, I think that game we played against Hong Kong was sort of like the turning point to see what we could achieve as a team and yeah I reckon PNG sort of took a downfall but then also a uh, kick in the butt I'd say and I opened it to what we could be um I think Hong Kong, they had all the players that everyone, you know, thought that they could achieve a lot more. But then I don't know what really happened, but it all just went downhill from there. And I know a few, I know a lot of them and they're good mates of mine. And we spoke about this after games and stuff. But I think one thing Cricket Bendy took out of all all the rivalry between Hong Kong was that we knew it was serious every time we stepped onto the field and that there were no easy games. So we, we didn't take anyone lightly it's still on that rivalry with hong kong i know the the first odi that um png played actually was against hong kong um in townsville and um that there was a couple of games there and legacy arca scored a really good century and and i actually went to see you guys play against ireland in townsville as well that is commitment. Well, I also have some some relatives, so it was a, a bit of a dual purpose trip. But don't don't tell them that <laughs> the ulterior motive. Oh, why have you got such an interest in, in visiting your relatives? Oh, there's a game of cricket. Okay, it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you liked your cousins. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, so so just how important is it having that facility at home rather than you know having to travel all the way to to, to North Queensland to play games? 
Um, I'll take Knife and Arrive from North Princeton. It's actually a really nice ground, and we we're fortunate enough to use it as a home ground before our mini park got built up. But the home advantage back in PNG, you hardly see a good number of people at a cricket match nowadays, but with international teams coming in. And when we had Kenya over, that's a big game changer, I'd say, with the crowd behind you, knowing that everyone's cheering for you and all and your family and everyone, all of your friends watching you, play the spot you love. Um, I think it gives you that extra boost that you need when you're playing. And you could see from when we played Kenya that no one no one was switched off or anything. Everyone just played their role and that's what made the win more more enjoyable and more exciting in a way where we knew it was our home win and our first home series and on home soil. Well, hopefully with, with some more home one-day internationals at Amini Park, we, we can see a slow build towards the, the building of cricket. And perhaps now looking maybe towards the, the development of, of Papua New Guinea cricket, I'm, I'm sure you're well involved in, in, in the situations there. We talked about the Amini Park upgrade, but we've seen a huge number of actual participants, in, in even in junior cricket in Papua New Guinea. The numbers are ridiculously good. What's cricket like in getting out into the community and showing it to to the to the juniors and and the young people coming through. I've taken part a lot in um a lot of junior clinics and stuff around PNG and mostly in Port Moresby. And to be honest, the love for the game's pretty high around here. But it's just the accessibility to cricket gear. I'd say um, BSP, a Bank of South Pacific in PNG. Um, They've done a great job sponsoring Cricket PNG for the last, I think, 10 years or something. And they they specifically go around communities and schools and stuff to deliver programs and stuff. And it's done really well. I think over the years, I think they average 200,000 kids a year. And sometimes they involve the Baramanis on a trip or something just to show the kids that one day you could be playing for a country like one of these um, players around here. And I think the development part is a good one where we've seen a few of the boys. I think Hiri and Kipling came through those programs. So uh, for kids nowadays to see that, that would probably be a good motivation to, first of all, do well in school and also pursue cricket if they, they like. We saw the announcement, geez, it'd be a year and a half ago now that Cricket Australia, New Zealand Cricket, the ICC and the Australian government put a lot of money together. I think it was $800,000 uh, to build 48 cricket grounds in, in PNG. How has that development gone and are all those grounds up and running? I wouldn't say all the grounds are up and running right now, but there have been a lot of them put up already. I'm not sure exactly what um, the numbers are, but I've seen a couple of them and I've played on a few of them as well and they're pretty good. I'm not really sure how, how much more they've done with putting up new wickets but from following on Facebook and Instagram you can see that there have been a couple of um, wickets been put up and they're actually pretty good. Well one of the um, regions I guess that, that will benefit most from this is up in the highlands where um, development has been quite difficult. This is something that I find really interesting because you mentioned that cricket's doing quite well uh, down around sort of the, the Port Moresby coastal area. What's it like you know, going up there to, to try and um, you know, break into rugby league territory? First, uh, I reckon up in the highlands, there's, how do I say this? Rugby rugby is pretty much everything that you breed and live for. But I think cricket, cricket's catching along pretty well. The enthusiasm around most of the um, kids up there. And even the older ones, they actually want to see more competition up in the Highlands. And I think they have a competition up there called the TransLink competition, something that does. So it's a group of provinces that play each other. And yeah, it's it's good fun up there. But yeah, I reckon one of the biggest areas where Cricket PNG can grab most of their talent or talent ID programs. And it'll be good for 
sorry about the noise in the background if you can hear that. <laughs> but yeah, up in the Highlands, there's the passion is there for cricket. It's just the delivery of how the game supposed to be played and pretty much equipment up there. And as you said, with these new wickets coming, I think they put in two wickets already up in the Highlands. And yeah, I think that's the main thing that needs to be put down first before they can lead into other development stuff. Speaking of development programs, we see cricket used around the world with a number of programs around female empowerment, reducing domestic violence and other worthy causes within within a community. Another country like PNG with Rwanda comes to mind and how that's been used in, in the community. How is, is cricket used like that with some of the cricket PNG programs? Um, there's a few programs that we're associated with. Um, I think Red Cross is one of them. It's a charity um, dealing with kids that I don't want to put this in a bad way or anything. But yeah, with a disability in a way. And that's one major one where cricket PNG is heavily involved. There's another one to do with violence against women. And I think last year we signed an, another extended partnership between them and us. And when we were interviewed about this, we actually stressed on the fact that cricketers in PNG have particularly no tolerance with violence against women or violence even against men and that's one thing we've really stressed about since we've signed this partnership with them and we in our contract it stated that there's no tolerance to do with any violence so if there's violences around your family or you know your neighbor or something then pretty much you get the contract torn up so that's one example we use around kids when we speak to them or when we're dealing with this well, that's important that it's, it's written in your contract. And I think it'd be, I wouldn't say it's the elephant in the room because there are bigger concerns in the world right now around COVID and, and, and some of those bigger issues. But how has that been applied to the kids after they came back from Japan and saw bans handed down for their ill discipline during the Under-19s World Cup? How are they being reintegrated into the cricket community? It's been tough for the boys that came back from Japan because I was actually there with them. And I get a lot of banter from Joey about this. But I think the main thing um that was put down on them was that they had to earn trust again from their community and their families and even cricket PNG. They were put into counseling mainly through churches in Port Mosby and they did a lot of community service and stuff so I think they're still doing that and they've got a few more months to go before this ban is uplifted and then they can start playing cricket again. But in a sense of getting them back into cricket, I think it's a good um, way to introduce um, explain to kids why stealing is bad but I think it's a perfect example to show that if you do the wrong things doing something like cricket you love can actually be taken away from you if you don't comply by the rules and stuff. Well, and, and I know Tim uh, likes to talk about pastoral care, and I think it's really good that Cricket PNG has gone down the road of you know, rehabilitation. They haven't just banned them. They've given them another chance and, and helped them to sort of learn from the experience. So I think that speaks to the broader, I guess, team culture. And you did mention um, in some of your answers the way that the team culture has been built and, you know, perhaps in the past you've been a bit complacent. You know, how important is growing that team culture to, you know, the, the future of PNG? cricket uh, the team culture that we've been building the last few years we tried to make sure that we let the young ones know what the culture is about and what cricket and PNG can do for you and a few actually when we got back from the World Cup Joey gave me this task of putting up a PowerPoint presentation where I had to put together a code of conduct sort of presentation involved with the vision and what we plan to achieve as a group and the mottos and stuff so I did that and that's the first thing we sort of present to all the new kids that are 
coming into the system and then it guides them along to achieving the goals that we have set for ourselves and for Cricket PNG. I'm going to touch on that because saw you guys in Dubai during the T20 World Cup qualifier wearing your black t-shirts and I'll let you talk about the black t-shirts but it's interesting as a, as a mark of the team code of conduct and the values that you stand by the way that the black t-shirts are used in Brazil to denote the leaders within their programs. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the black Barra t-shirts and the, and the values behind them? Um, yeah, the, we had a tradition where we uh, we decided to have a white or a black one but we stuck with black because I reckon black signifies a lot of cultures in PNG. We we have uh, 22 provinces and each flag has um, black on it. And I think it signifies something greater for this country. So we stuck with black and we put a slogan on our t-shirt if you look properly. It's something we came up with to signify the, the new bars, hashtag new bars thing we've been talking for the last two years and I think it's come along really well like the shed pretty much to say though that we aren't looking back to what we were two years ago whereas we're just looking forward to what we can achieve and what we can control in the years ahead of us and while we're still playing cricket and how far we can take cricket PNG to yeah the world stage I'm, I'm going to keep going here it's like uh, rapid fire cutler questions like, <laughs> so I'll apologize so something that intrigues us um, when we talk to, to people around the, the associate cricket world and people talk about how important red ball cricket is and these countries would want to be test nations and we you always use the example of PNG that up until recently you played no cricket longer than 20 overs at home whatsoever and only recently have you brought in 50 over cricket you know what does the future of, of PNG cricket look like to you I'll, I'll let you think about that as I talk because I say to people look I think that PNG will be the first full member who doesn't play test cricket and can potentially do that on the back of their T20 and hopefully 50 over cricket performance we're going to get to the performance um, in that in the background but I really think that PNG can be the flag bearer for what a new and you talk about the new barriers of what a new full member can look like coming through on the back of ultra short form cricket to become a full member with the support of a I think it's six and a half million people in PNG you can tell me if I'm wrong yeah behind you and 200,000 kids already playing that I, I that's the that's the future that I I see but how do you see that from a format point of view and the future of, of what the barras and the leewers are going to be yeah, there's no doubt T20's taken pretty much all the spotlight for cricket here in um, PNG. We used to play two days uh, in the National um, Shield, it was called back then. But then that's when we were in the um, Intercontinental Cup match a few years ago. But I think the restriction to the, the number of grounds we have, we only have a mini park right now. We used to have the one next to us, but it got taken away from us. So I think that's why the main teams, the premier teams in PNG just play T20 because you can't fit everyone into just the one ground to play everyone on a weekend or something like that so yeah, I think that's why T20 is pretty dominant right now but as we spoke about earlier on if we venture out to other provinces the competition could spread out to a point where we could be playing the national comps in another province for example Ley or up in the highlands and yeah that would be a dream to see that come true but for now to be honest I'd rather be playing red ball cricket than white ball because I reckon the more you do well in red ball the better skills naturally just come in the white ball format so yeah it's sad that we don't play anything more than 20 overs in PNG right now but hopefully in the years I mean, in the near future, we can play more 50-over cricket than eventually two-day cricket. I'm going to keep going here. You, you play cricket in, in, in Brisbane as well. Yeah. 
do you come down especially to play T20 in in the Brisbane comp or do you play two-day stuff as well? Firstly, I came down two seasons ago just to play T20 stuff. But then last season I came down and I played the T20s and then I finished off the rest of the season with the two days. So you've played recent two-day red ball cricket and it's sort of it's got your appetite going again, has it? (laughs) Yes, it has. Um, After not bowling more than 10 overs for, I think, three years it's pretty tough trying to carry on after 10 hours when i bowled um in my first two-day match so but then once i got going it just naturally came then you just know what to do and it took me a while to get back into the format how things go compared to t20 and one day so i guess the more I played, the more I learned about my game as well and improved my betting a lot. Whereas my bowling took a back um, stage because I don't know, for some reason, I just can't control the juke ball. It swings too much, I guess. <laughs> you might be the first person in, in history to say that the ball, do- uh, it swings too much. <laughs> He's no Bill Khan. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have a word to Bill Khan about this, but yeah. <laughs> well, he, he broadcasts live videos on Instagram and Facebook or not. You could probably just uh, link in with one of those. Yeah. <laughs> When I think of the I Cup and PNG, I think of you know Asad Vala peeling off centuries for fun. And um, does is there an appetite there for the I Cup? And because I know it's all sort of up in the air with the ICC, and there's been talk of it being voluntary, and it's kind of been put on the back burner. But if it was a voluntary tournament, you know, would would PNG be interested in reviving it? Oh yeah, definitely. We've spoken amongst ourselves in the bars, and um, we say that we miss actually miss playing four day cricket, and it was a good step forward for us seeing that we could actually play the longer format whereas most teams would see us and they're oh, just a T20 um, team or something like that but yeah we'd pretty much love to get back into the four day format and as you said Asad performing the way he did in the ICAP back then she goes to show that we've got people who can do that but long hours and bowl long spells as well so yeah um, I know over the last sort of few years, when you had ODI status, PNG did have trouble attracting teams to, to come and play games and you, know, you didn't have many fixtures beyond the sort of ICC tournament events. And speaking to some other people in the associate world about you know going to PNG, one of the things they mention is the safety situation. And so I guess how much of a challenge is it for PNG to try and you know, get teams to tour and visit a mini park when you know there is that fear, I guess? Um. If you ask the teams that are come and played in PNG, I don't think they'll stress about the safety issues around here. People here are pretty friendly. It's just certain places you, you're not supposed to go and stuff at certain times. But apart from that, PNG is a lovely place to come to play. I think just the fear factor is sort of stopping teams from coming to play here in PNG. But I don't see any other reason why they, they shouldn't come and play here in PNG. If you ask Hong Kong, Hong Kong love coming to PNG. And we love going to Hong Kong. So it's it's a good partnership we have going with Hong Kong cricket. And from pretty much all the teams that have visited PNG it's a nice place there's great places to see and yeah the people here are just lovely so if people are talking about risk factors yeah you find it in every city pretty much you go there's, there's no city in the world where you don't find if there's a risk to actually walk around and stuff but yeah I guess the way some people sort of portray the picture or the image of PNG to the world is the one that's pretty much not the right one in a way but it's for them to just come and see for themselves what PNG is like I think there's going to be a lot of banked up annual leave for people <laughs> to be looking at and I do see a couple of Cricket World Cup League 2 fixtures being hosted. Oh, 
yes. in Moresby. And I think you may be talking to three gentlemen, well, at least three males on a podcast, maybe not gentlemen. <laughs> oh, speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm a player, Tim. <laughs> that are definitely looking at that on the um, on the calendar because like for me, especially from Brisbane on Air New Guinea, bang, straight up, straight down, it should be quite easy. And, and my issue is trying to find enough leave, not whether I, I, I want to go to these places. So uh, with everything being banked up and all the, this leave not being taken, I, I, that's definitely on the list for me and I'd, I'd love to. I think just the, well, like you say, the other things beyond the cricket to see I'd, I'd, I'd love to uh, to actually put my eyes onto Hanabata mm. to see this place it's is, is, been like the uh, the cradle the cradle of yeah, uh, of cricket heroes yeah yeah it's definitely on my list Hanabata is a pretty big village and hence why they've produced it's not just cricket they've produced they've produced a lot of um, athletes for PNG over the years and it's just a village full of athletes that are on just a raw group of athletes where you don't find just coming and learning their trades it's just natural as they come along and cricket's the main one it's a cricket mad um, village and yeah everyone just plays cricket everywhere it's the way it should be yeah (laughs) they got it right You know, when people say to me, why isn't cricket big in, in Hong Kong? Uh, or oh, there's not enough space. Uh, so if people want to play cricket, they'll yeah. they'll find room. And to hear some of the Hanabata stories about the you know, ball going in the ocean and on the side and some of the, but I, you know, you only have to travel to India as well and to see the number of games happening in, in alleyways and behind buildings and a hundred games going on in one park that... Yeah, they overlap each other. Yeah, if anybody tries to say you need to have a, a perfectly green field to build it and then they'll come, it's like, no, no, they'll be playing in the streets. And I think the stories of Hanabata really does sort of typify or personify that. Pretty much the roads in Hanabata, all the cricket pitches. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's. I don't. I don't think they're roads. See, that's where you need a Duke's ball because <laughs> you're just gonna have a, a Norman, you know, a mini version of yourself there at the other end, just clearing the front leg and just taking you to town. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> funny the way vehicles actually stop to let the game go on, and then in between changes of overs and then you see them let them go through but yeah i still can't get over the fact that they still do that but this goes to show us how much this some um, village actually loves cricket yeah i think cricket should have right of way on all roads personally <laughs> <laughs> i know i think of almost being run over as a kid down you know engadine you know the cars coming around and having to well, i look at it now and think damn like what was going on there I, I guess it was the olden days when we were playing the cars were slower and everything was in black and white but it's, it's amazing when you think about that it's like dearie me were we really out in the streets but no, you're right. Nick, on the, hit that one on the head. That's the way it should be. Just stop sign <laughs> cricket being played. And then, yep, maybe every second over because yeah. it's cricket to swap to switch ends. But that's, isn't that superb to hear that happening? You know, that's what cricket's supposed to be. Oh, cricket's just fun pretty much. That's what people do to play cricket. I actually joined cricket because it was fun. Not the fact that my family had a history of playing cricket, but I just played it because I loved it. And I never knew I'd take it up as a profession in the future. And if you had asked me that when I was a kid, I would have been like, nah, no chance. But yeah. Cricket's done a lot for me, so I just want to give back wherever I can. Stay tuned for part two next week with Norman Vanua. And as we said at the top of the pod, don't forget to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast and share the link with all your cricket-loving friends and leave us a five-star rating and review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Emerging Cricket, where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month. And that will get you access to extended cuts of a number of our podcasts, and you can have a say on the show's directions. But for now, from myself, Daniel Beswick, on behalf of the boys, Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner, and our guest today, Norman Vanua, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the emerging cricket world.